Welcome to the VoxGig podcast. We talk to people in the developer community about developer relations, public speaking, and community events. For more details, visit voxgig.com slash podcast. All right, let's get started. Today, I have the very great pleasure of talking to Carter Rabaza, who founded the Cascadia JS conference. Carter learned his developer relations trade at Twilio. But as you listen to our conversation, I'm sure you'll agree that it was always something he was destined for. We talk about the history of developer relations, and we talk about measurement, and how maybe measurement is something more for yourself than for anybody else. Alrighty, let's talk. Carter, welcome, welcome. It is great to have you on the Fireside with Vox Gig podcast, talking about developer relations. Uh, and we were just chatting, and you told me that you were at a meetup recently you yeah. met someone who was like developer what now <laughs> <laughs> that's right well i um so i i organize um this is unsurprising for people who work in devrel but you know, i organize a meetup um some folks organize multiple meetups um but i organize the seattle javascript meetup um i've been organizing it on and off for for years and you know it's kind of funny like it, I'm, I'm continually surprised at like how many new people show up every month um i guess it's the you know, people keep discovering us. Um, but anyway, uh, someone came up to me towards the end of the meetup. Um, it was a new person. Uh, she was new to tech, uh, new to Seattle. Um, and generally, I'm the organizer, so I'm a very approachable. And we just start to talk. And she asks me what I do. And I tell her that um, that I'm in DevRel. And she does not know what that word means. It's not really a word. It's kind of like, I don't know, uh, yeah, you know, acronym or something. But yeah. um, she's like, oh, you're a developer? And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I'm in developer relations. And she clearly does not understand what I'm talking about. Um, so you know, I sort of walk her through what DevRel is. And she was surprised and you know, very curious and had lots of follow-up questions. But it's pretty wild in 2023 to encounter people in the industry, even people who are new to the industry that are not aware that this is a thing. Yeah, although I suppose we are a little introspective, right? <laughs> People who work in developer relations tend to think about developers a lot. Yeah. Uh, and we tend to self-organize. So we're talking. I mean, look at us now, right? Two DevRel dudes talking to yeah. each other. Right? <laughs> Let's get outside the building. Um, maybe, you, maybe you role modeled. Maybe, maybe that's a future developer advocate. Oh, it, it, I mean, that happens all the time. I mean, like yeah. once uh, once you kind of get past like, what is this and what do you do? Um, people, not everybody, right? But a lot of people find themselves in what they hear about the role, right? You know, they sort of, they find, uh, look, a lot of people who are, um, who are, are new to tech uh, are, you know, coming from other kinds of roles, other kinds of industries, right? These are generally non-technical people who have decided for, whether it's their passion or whether it's uh, about you know sort of uh, you know compensation, they want to get into tech, right? And they get it. They go to a boot camp and they emerge with a set of highly technical skills. But these are like full people that had interests uh, that that lie that lay outside of tech, right? Um, so, and that's one of the things that's fun about Devrel. You know, it's this uh, it's this role that I think needs to be fairly highly technical, um, but yeah. provides so much room. You know, for 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 non technical work, you know, and like and and non technical uh, things to happen. So anyway, yeah, like oftentimes when I'm talking to people about what I do for a living, their you know their eyes perk up a little bit, and they're like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I wonder if I could do that. Yeah. Um, so that those those are always interesting conversations to have. I think both of us 
are a little bit lucky in that we started off as devs. I think I think you also did Java at the start, right? Oh B2 man, oh, yeah. and all that fun stuff, right? B in Ab- Java beans, all that sort of fun stuff. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. And then kind of through various accidents, I guess, fell into that role where you're externally facing and maybe you're organizing meetups mm-hmm. or talking at conferences or writing articles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was a long time before it had a name, right? It was just, I don't know, am- ambassadors, that type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, now um... it has an official title. Uh, how did that happen? That's a really great question. You know, I don't, I don't know. I, I remember learning that uh, one of the first uh, evangelists was a guy named Guy Kawasaki. Yes, who worked for Apple. Yeah. So yeah. Guy Kawasaki, he's you know he's famous. You can look him up on Wikipedia. But he was one of the first. Uh, he, I think he, technically he called himself a technical evangelist or a techno- technologist right. evangelist or something like that. Um, and he, you know, you can you can see a lot of, of what DevRel people do in what he did, right? You know, he was running around evangelizing Apple technologies, products, platforms, talking to people, interacting with them. And this is happening back in the maybe, I don't even know, the late 80s, the 90s or something. Right. Um he's the and, OG, right? He is the he is the OG. I, yeah. <laughs> I think he is, but then honestly, like there's a gap, right? There's this for me, there is. You you could educate me, but like as far yeah. as I'm concerned. I don't really know who the first like proper, um, you know, modern, you know, maybe like, like I'd say like the, in the era of the cloud, right? Like who's yeah. the first sort of API slash cloud event, like developer evangelist. Like, I don't, I don't actually really know. No, I think, I mean, the next step was. would have been, you, you work for Microsoft, I think, right? So Microsoft. Oh, sure. This, yeah. Like PCs Microsoft and Win- Windows. <laughs> yeah. You're, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, but still, you know, what's interesting about interest, what's interesting about all those, and I think this is um, maybe less about the company and more about how the world moved on, right? Like, you know, Apple. I don't. I think you know, Apple. Apple events, you know, were like first party events owned and operated by Apple. You know, Apple developers would you know would go to these events. Yeah. Same with Microsoft, right? Like Microsoft had a, a, a powerful ecosystem of first party events across all of their platforms. You know, whether it was PC or you know mobile or Xbox or whatever. Um, and, and, of, and of course, Microsoft would employ evangelists, right, that would sort of interact with their community. But it's sort of like a community that they owned. Um, and I don't know, like I, when I came in to, to DevRel, like the place that like I spent almost all of my time was uh, at community events. You know, I think like I, I, once yeah. again, I don't really know when like when like community events really took off and emerged from the shadows and became like maybe the predominant way that developers, you know, got out in real life and and met other other developers or, you know, sort of uh, up-leveled their skills. But um, that's where me and my fellow DevRel folks like spent yeah. almost all of our time. And I just think, and I, I think, and that, that was a big shift in terms of like, what did it, what did it mean to be in DevRel, right? Um, I think like, you know, in the old days, I think the notion of supporting communities uh, was probably not something that ranked very highly in terms of the responsibilities of like if it even existed, older, right? If it even existed, right? It just it just yeah. it wasn't considered. It, it simply wasn't something that people even thought about because what it what would it even mean to support the community, right? Um, but once you get to like you know 2010 and beyond, you yeah. know you have real 
you know, real meaningful, you know, uh, you know, communities springing up, you know, online, you know, get, of course, GitHub is a huge catalyst for this open source. It just sort of like, it just completely changes, I think, like how developers organized, communicated, networked, um, uh, and built and, and, and sort of like met and interacted with one another. And then I think, of course, like that changed how DevRel people felt that they yeah. needed to sort of operate, right? So Carter, I think you're right. So get the, the emergence of GitHub is kind of concurrent with developer relations, the genesis of what it is now, I think, right? and the meetups and all that sort of stuff. I'm just trying mm-hmm. to think, going back a little bit earlier, yeah. it, maybe maybe it was Sun Microsystems. And then there was there was those <laughs> bloggers, right? People like Tim Bray, who evangelized XML. And so maybe oh, that was, my maybe, gosh. Maybe this, like, you could trace back through that, right? I think you could. I mean, I, I, Tim, man, gosh, folks like Tim Bray and Dave Weiner, yeah. you know, like yeah. they, they were, I, look, sure. I mean, I, I think that is, I do think that that is, that, that is absolutely evangelism, right? And by the way, like evangelism can trigger people negatively, um, some people negatively, right? It's a, I, our, my job title when I joined Twilio um, was developer evangelist. Oh, um, old I, school. I old school. I, yeah, right. <laughs> I, I, I very, I very rarely see people with that job title today because I think that word has connotations that people don't care for. But, yeah. but, but the idea of evangelizing something is a totally neutral word and a neutral idea. And absolutely, yeah, evangelizing RSS, evangelizing XML. Um, but I think that there's, you know, those people. I think there is a difference between sort of doing that. Um, in the context of uh, in the context of a, a true passion project, right? A true something that you're just purely passionate about. It's completely open source. Um, you know, there isn't there aren't sort of the concerns or the 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 concerns of like a, of a corporation. You know, sort of behind like what you're trying to accomplish. Um, I think that, that that's where like it just differs, right? The kind of things that dev that DevRel professionals like need to understand and need to get good at um, is a little bit different than what Tim or Dave like needed to sort of do on a regular basis with the things that they were, they were trying to sort of advocate for. Yeah. And and again, this goes back to something we we mentioned before we came on, which is empathy, right? I think maybe an evangelist has an agenda. They don't really have, it's not coming from a place of empathy, right? So maybe that's maybe that's what legitimizes developer relations as it evolved. Is that it was by developers for developers? I, th- I think so. I mean, I, I, it's um, it's interesting, you know. Like when I think about my job, and when I think about you know the, the things that I like do that I did at Twilio and that I do you know today at, at Courier, like so much of it is functioning as this bridge. Um, between the product and engineering organizations, you know, inside of the company and the developers outside of the company that are just honestly trying to trying to accomplish their a goal, right? Like they're trying to build something, they're trying to solve a problem. Um, and so I'm I'm DevRel is often this like connective tissue, like between two sets of people, you know. Um and, and just once again, thinking back to, you know, to someone like Dave Weiner or Tim Bray, like, I, I don't, I don't know that they, that that was something that they had to worry about. Right. Like they yeah. were like, D- Dave was, Dave was his own company. Dave 
you know, was That's hand right. coding yeah. his, his own RSS, you know, parsers wow. and generators. Yeah. Like he, yeah. he didn't have to worry, you know, about sort of like um, being about mediating, you know, between, um, between two groups. He worried about mediating between himself. <laughs> he was the whole himself. thing. <laughs> yeah. That's right. You know, so I, I think, I, but, but those people are incredibly inspirational. And by the way, like, I think I, I, I'll, I'll just say, like, uh, I think that both sets of people have tremendous empathy, right? Like, I think that Dave, and, and we keep using Dave Weiner as an example, but there's so many other people, right? Um, I, like, I, would, I would say this about anybody who's, who's, uh, who's created, like, really meaningful open source, right? Um, you know, uh, the, you know, um, trying to Ryan doll, you know, the, the guy who invented, yeah, like, that amazing, I don't, I don't tool, th- that amazing tool just, where he introduces node, right? I, I just don't think that you can invent something like node, um, and not sort of have it come from a deep place of empathy for, right. you know, developers that are trying to solve certain problems, but are maybe being inhibited by the tooling that they're being given. Right. Um, so I think, I think those folks have anyone who's an open source, like, almost by default is probably a very empathetic person and that's what helps them build these amazing products. And I think that folks that are in DevRel are, are not themselves building the products, right? But they are a conduit, you know, they're sort of, they need to, you know, they need to have a similar level of empathy for developers that are evaluating like the, the, the product or trying to use the product and or, or incredibly frustrated with the product. Right. And by the way, the empathy goes the other way too. Um, developers will tell me constantly about like what's wrong with an API or like what they, how they wish it worked or whatever. And how I communicate that feedback back to product and engineering also needs to be handled with care because these are people who are, you know, we're all trying to do our best. Um, and I just, and I've seen, you know, I've seen people sort of succeed in DevRel and I've seen people discover that it really isn't for them. And the people who discover that it really isn't for them usually um, fail or, or opt out for one of two reasons. One, um, it's it's too technical for them, um, which is completely fine. There are many other great like roles and ways to sort of be, invo- be involved in tech. Um, or, or they find out that really like they, the level of empathy that is required is, is too much. Um, and it's, it feels burdensome and stressful. Uh, and then, the, so those people just opt out and usually fall back into traditionally technical roles. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. Uh, I mean, that the, the developer relations role is really suitable for a generalist. Uh, and if, like me, maybe your coding is that great, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know coders who are machines, right? They they just they can yeah. handle vast amounts of context. And I, I was never that good. Um, I mean, I like my clean code. I like my good architectures, but I was never yeah. that machine level. Well, I w- what I would say is like, I, you know, whether I was ever like good or, or not at coding, I think the thing is that like what I cared most about coding was the the creative creation part, right? Like the hacking, the like, oh, I wonder if I can do this. I want, you know, like, the, like I'm, I was great at the first, you know, first few days of coding. Everything <laughs> after that, you know, the, the unit tests and the hardening yeah. and the security, like all the, and unfortunately, like that is, that's incredibly critical of critical part of what it means to be an engineer and to build products that people, users can trust and, and rely on. I, I hated that stuff. Yeah. Um, so, so, <laughs> so, 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 for, so for me, relations. 
Absolutely. And like, you know, and I, so I think like, you know, being in a role where, you know, your job is to build like demos and see what's possible and inspire people, right? Like, you know, don't, you know, like whatever your product does, whatever your, whatever your API does, like find a way to, to make it fun, find a way to inspire people, you know, help, help developers. Developers often get a, get a, a negative sort of rap for not being creative, um, I don't think that's true. Like, I think people can be creative, but sometimes some people need extra inspiration, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that DevRel, good DevRel, like helps inspire them to sort of think outside of the box that they are living in or the box that they've created for themselves and imagine like what else like they could do with these tools. Yeah. And we, we'll return to the subject of what makes a good DevRel. How do you measure it? And all that sort of <laughs> sure. stuff in a little while. Uh, I'm a history nerd, so I'm just going to go back to the history thing because it's a fascinating topic. And speaking of creation, uh, Cascadia JS. Uh, yeah. How did that happen? Just because I'm fascinated by the story of how these community events, um, community supported events, their genesis and how they sustain themselves. Yeah. Well, for so for for folks who are listening, Cascadia JS is a is a regional JavaScript conference, full stack JavaScript conference that takes place in the Pacific Northwest. Um, you know, so Seattle, Portland, Vancouver, uh, Cascade is like a nickname for the, for this, for this area. Right. Um, it started because, you know, I was, I was a person, you know, I'm old enough to have been to some really awful, like it conferences back in the nineties. Um, and, and they were just, and, and I was exposed to like what really awful, like tech, you know, technology conferences can, can look and feel like, and it made me never want to attend them again. Um, and then later in my, and then later in my life, like I think right around 20, 2011, I was lucky enough to attend a conference called JSConf, um, yeah. taking place in the U S, uh, and taking place in Portland, Oregon, um, run by just the most wonderful person, Chris Williams. Yes. And I went to this event, like, you know, having heard good things, um, but not really understanding what to expect because I was used to all these corporate events from the past. Um, and I was just sort of. I just sort of dropped into this like lovely place with all these kind people who were being nice to each other, not taking themselves seriously, not, uh, you know, it wasn't littered with enterprise salespeople trying to get you to sign a contract. Um, it, it was obvious that the speakers were selected on merit and not based on whether, you know, their company was sponsoring the event or not. I just, I, I, I'd never experienced anything like that before. And it's almost like, you know, it's, it's like eating ice cream for the first time in your life, right? You're just like, what is this amazing thing? And, and how can I have more of it? So without babbling on too, too much longer, the problem, of course, is that like JSConf bounces around. You know, they were in Portland that year, but then they, they, they moved on to other places. And it just became clear that like, wow, like for me and all my fellow web developers, of which there are hundreds of thousands across the Pacific Northwest, like why is it that we have to fly to San Francisco or New York or, you know, or, or Ireland or Berlin yeah. to go to like a good community driven full stack JavaScript conference. So anyway, uh, the answer of course, to que that question is like, well, we shouldn't have to. Um, so I decided to create Cascadia JS um, and that was, Probably a pretty insane thing to do. It is totally uh, but, insane. Do not start conferences. Trust me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. For anyone who's listening, like, do not do this. Um, it was, but honestly, uh, one thing that helped me 
Um, and I don't know if this is helpful for anyone who's listening. I had the full, full support of Twilio, which was the company that I was working for at the time. Um, I mean, they didn't like, you know, they didn't bankroll the event, but in terms of like giving me time and space to work moral, on it, moral um, absolutely. And not just like the, the company in a, you know, as an anonymous entity, like, you know, my colleagues, like, you know, my coworkers, like it was, I really felt very supported. Um, did that I go was, all the way up to the CEO? Was that like, did the leadership I mean, yeah, recognize? It, it, absolutely. Oh, it was, okay. I mean, this is, it was, Twilio was a much smaller company back in, you know, 2012. Um, so, you know, having, you know, actually running, you know, so, you know, Twilio was a, a, one of the sponsors for the event. Um, so yeah, the opportunity to sort of like get in front of, you know, all of these developers, um, you know, in Seattle, um, in this, like in this way, in this JSConf style of way, you know, like with that, the, the feel of like, this is like, this is a community driven event. Like we're all here to learn and meet each other and have fun. Um, yeah, that was, that was huge for Twilio. You know, Twilio had actually, had only just started to, um, operate its own first party conferences, TwilioCon. Um, so, you know, having someone who worked at Twilio operating a third party event and sort of learning, right. There's a lot of stuff that we did at, um, at Cascadia that found its way back into TwilioCon, which then turned into Signal. Um, so yeah, no, just the whole company supported the effort, um, and, and we made it, you know, like it was, I will say, um, I, I, I do not think that anyone should start a conference unless you really understand what you're getting into. But I will oh, yeah. say this, the oh, yeah. first, the first one is always the hardest um, because you don't have a brand. Nobody knows who you are. Nobody knows if they can trust you. Like, you know, you're asking people to spend hundreds of dollars on the internet for something that they've never experienced. And is it going to be um, fire festival, right? So, of course, of right. course, you know, so like, but look, the, the subsequent events like are all, you know, they get easier yeah. every year. And like now, you know, geez, that was, you know, I think next year, is, next year is going to be our like, you know, 12th year um, running Cascadia JS. And it's still a lot of work, you know, but, you know, you build a lot of, um, you know, you build a lot of like equity with people, you know, over time. Like 12 if you treat years. Wow. 12 years, you know, congratulations. And it's, it's, That's it's, amazing. Thanks. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's, it's awesome. Amazing. You know, every, I'll, t- I'll tell I'll tell you this. The day before uh, every Cascadia, I wish I had never done this. Um, <laughs> but then the but then but then the day after every Cascadia, I can't yeah. wait to do the next one because yeah. it's just such a positive experience um, for everybody. I, I hope. Yeah, you can't beat that uh, adrenaline rush, right? When the the audience claps for the last time and it's all done. Uh, yeah. I, would Would you agree? I mean, I think I notice the sponsors especially for community events. And for me, it really identifies companies that have that developer empathy. Um, mm-hmm. But on the other side, it's always a struggle getting sponsors. Right? Do you think it's yeah. easier? No. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I think, um, look, look, it, it kind of depends on like what we're talking about. I mean, I think like it's gotten easy, like the, uh, it's gotten easier over like long stretches of time. However, I think we all understand that we're operating in a bit of a tech recession right now, right? Right. Um, so, so I think, like, I think, unfortunately, like right now, um, things are very difficult. I think uh, a lot of companies are scaling back uh, their their budgets. Um, they're scaling back their budgets across multiple dimensions. They're scaling back their marketing budgets, which hurts the sponsorships. Companies are also scaling back their sort of like uh, travel and learning budgets for their engineers. So 
if you're a conference organizer, you're getting hit in both places. You're getting hit in terms of like, it's harder to bring on sponsors, but it's also harder to sell tickets because it's very expensive to put on a conference, which means that the tickets are very expensive, which means that if the company isn't paying for it, it's very difficult to ask someone to pay six, seven, eight, nine hundred dollars for a ticket. Um, yeah. But I, but I, I mean, I, I, I think that's the truth of how things are right now. Um, but in terms of the trends, I, I think that the trends are very positive. I think that like overall companies understand that the that in general the uh, the ROI on on doing on, on doing sponsorships with like high quality events and then of course like making sure that their engagement and their involvement with the event is also high quality that there's just a ton of ROI there um, so I so I, I'm very bullish yeah. on the long term we're just sort of unfortunately in a short term place that's not great for everybody yeah it's one of those years but hey Software is eating the world, right? So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Out. This, yeah. Okay, so to close out, this has all been super interesting and somewhat, somewhat more philosophical than I planned, but <laughs> very, very interesting nonetheless. Um, on your journey, working for different companies, um, I don't know. Let's structure it as in. What are the most thing, interesting things you learned in each company? Or what was the most surprising thing about, okay, I'm going to change the way that I'm going to do developer relations because I've learned this new thing. Mm. And maybe, we, maybe we won't restrict it to one per company, right? Because some companies yeah, might have I mean, more of an impact. Uh, but kind of, yeah, kind of just going back to that sort of 2011, 2012 time period, yeah. take us well, forward. I'll be, yeah, sure. Well, first of all, like, look, I've only done this twice. You know, I did it. Uh, I was at Twilio from 2012 uh, to you know 2017, like a you know almost six year stretch, uh, and then I was kind of on my own, just you know self employed, raising my family, you know working on a bunch of interesting side projects, um, running things like Cascadia JS and some other events, uh, and then I, I recently um, uh, joined uh, Courier uh, as their head of DevRel just this past April. So I mean, I've really only had. Yeah, I've only worked at two companies um, from a from a DevRel perspective. Um, I, I, I would say um, the thing that I learned, you know, that like will stay with me for the rest of my life. And frankly, like this this is not a DevRel thing, um, but it it's it's it, it's unbelievably helpful. Um, at Twilio, there is just this pervasive idea and value at the company about starting with the why. Um, like we were just, it was explained to us over and over again that like there is not an instruction guide for this. Like we don't know, there isn't an instruction guide for how to be a venture backed startup, even if you think there is, right? If you think that you can go to yeah. go on Hacker News and like read all the blog posts, that's not true, right? There's no instruction guide. And in particular with DevRel, developer evangelism, developer relations, whatever you want to call it, like there's no instruction guide, right? There are no, there's no examples of other companies back in this time period that are absolutely killing it. And gosh, we should just copy what they're doing, right? Like Stripe was basically like a contemporary of Twilio back then. They effectively didn't really do or have DevRel. Um, and they were incredibly successful, right? And there's a lot of interesting sort of questions about like, well, why was that? And like, what, you know, like, but it just doesn't matter, right? Like, because Patrick just, would grab your laptop and install his stuff. Sure, <laughs> but there's, there, choice. It's, 
but it just, uh, it just, it just, it just teaches you. It teaches yeah. you that like, there, this is not a recipe, right? Like just yeah. because you're building a developer tool or an API doesn't mean that like, you just have to have this thing, right. Um, called DevRel or, you know, or like you can break DevRel down into like, you know, sort of, uh, developer advocates and developer educators and like it, it, it it's just not true. Um, you really do have to fundamentally understand like, you know, what your product is, what people are trying to accomplish, like, how does it work? How do people use it? Like, what are the problems that, that they're trying to solve? Um, and then, and then, and, and then experiment, right? Like start with the why, start to build some ideas about like, how can we accelerate people? How can we help people? Um, is it like, you know, is it valuable to like, uh, to, to sort of, um, to, to, to build, to have, to sort of have people build affinity, you know, with your product or your brand. Like th these are things that we experimented with and that we played with. Yeah. Um, I, I'll, I'll just say right now about Stripe. I think that the reason that at that time, at least it wasn't terribly relevant to Stripe is that there was, there, there aren't very creative, there aren't very many creative things that you can do with Stripe at the time, right? Like it is a pain. It's like you type in some credit card information, you hit pay and it works. It, like it just works. Right. Um, I think Twilio was different. Twilio was uh, this communications API, um, primarily voice and text. Um, but you know, with those two primitive little bits of telecommunication, there were hundreds or thousands of amazing experiences and use cases and 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 just cool thing, you know, group texting and two-factor authentication and all these like fun phone tree. Like there's just all this stuff that you could build on top of these Legos. Um, and I think because of that, like it really dictated what it, what DevRel meant to Twilio and like what our job was, like, you know, how, like how, what did we need to do to help people, to help developers, like imagine new things and, and unlock these possibilities. Um, Carter, and, 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 and yeah, and that's just like, yeah. So starting with the why, you know, it's, it's, it's obvious you didn't actually use the word, but it's obvious that the way that you answer why is with empathy yeah right if, if i just think about all the stuff you've said right it's it you you you're starting from a place of empathy and that helps you answer the why question um yeah that's quite that is quite inspirational um working in this field uh you often have to deal with uh, i guess leadership that might treat devrel as just another lead generation engine mm -hmm. um and it isn't quite that but it sort of is a bit but it's sure i mean yeah it's I, I can to, tell you how i I, yeah. I can tell you how i think about it right i mean i think that um i think the word marketing gets a bad bad rap right um because we've all encountered like really like slimy icky like yeah. marketing people or or like marketing campaigns or you know like like I guess fishing is a is a really evil form of marketing, right? Yeah. Uh, anyway, my attitude is that like, look, like out there in the world are people that like are experience are having a problem, and it would be a wonderful service to them if like we could connect them with something that would help them with their problem, right? It's so I I think like the best kind of marketing is the kind of marketing where you're just you're sort of finding the right person like at the right time. And, and showing them the, the thing that can help them, right? That is sort of what good, <laughs> non-evil yeah. marketing yeah. looks and like. Yeah, there's value on both just, sides, right? Both, of both course, sides well, of, of it. Because, right? like, 
Well, but honestly, like, it's just like, it's so, it's almost silly to imagine anything else, right? I mean, we, 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 we don't live in a world of contracts, right? Like if I, if I trick someone into signing up for Courier um, and then like a week later or a month later, they're like, hey, this is not helpful for me at all. Well, then they will simply like stop using the product, right? Um, so I, in terms of like what I even think is rational for like for API companies or businesses to, to do, it's like, yeah, like you, you want to find people that like really will benefit greatly from what your company has built. Um, and I think DevRel people are responsible for like having some ideas on like, you know, how to reach these people, you know, to be smart about like, well, where do developers have these conversations and where do they congregate, right? Like that's part of what our subject matter expertise is. Um, does, does that then, to get a little bit technical about it, does that put developer relations sort of above the funnel? Right above the <laughs> marketing funnel, right? Is that, or is it like an extra dimension? Is it extra? Like, <laughs> is, is, no, I think I don't know. I think I, I don't know. I just think that, like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't personally think so, right? Like, yeah. I think that, um, I think that, like, part of what folks in DevRel do is contribute to top of funnel, um, like, it, and it's an important part of what they do, right? Like, yeah. if you spent the year as a DevRel professional at some company and like nothing you did led to anybody signing up for your company's service right. or product, there's just yeah, something yeah. you're not doing your job right, right? Like there's right. like that, that that can't be possible, right? So I think that, but however, like that cannot be all that you do. Um, like it is a, a multidisciplinary role. Like, you know, the, uh, uh, most, well, I'd say like most several people that maybe work at small enough companies not to be like hyper verticalized or specialized, are going to on a weekly basis are going to be interacting with engineering leadership are going to be interacting with um, support people are going to be um, out in the world talking to developers like it's just it's incredibly multidisciplinary like what you're going to do over the course of a single week um, so yeah sure like i think part of what you do needs to contribute to what your company is trying to accomplish from a marketing perspective but it cannot be all of what you're what you're supposed to be doing. And and one thing I'll say very quickly because I hear this all the time. It depends on what it depends really on what kind of company you're doing DevRel for. If you are a DevRel professional for Google yeah. Chrome, guess what? They don't care. They don't need you to get people to install Google Chrome, right? Like yes, there are certain there companies for for whom growth and you know sort of aware brand awareness like are completely irrelevant so if you do devrel for those companies like that is not something that you're going to need to worry about but you have to have your eyes open if you go join a series b series a series b series c startup um awareness um and uh and and signups are absolutely critical to the journey that that company is on so the expectation is that like some percentage of your time is going to be allocated to like helping that company be successful and driving awareness about what they're building. Oh, I, I really like that, Carter. So that that is that's a really great observation. Um, a lot of guests that I've spoken to, and we've 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 gone backwards and forwards on this myself and the guests. How do you measure DevRel? What's what do you do? And yeah, various ideas and various metrics. Um, but I think this is the first time somebody's actually said, "Well, hold on a sec. <laughs> What's the company? <laughs> what stage is it at?" How do you? Yeah, you can't just you can't just say here are the the global universal DevRel metrics, mm -hmm. best practices. Off you go. Um, that's kind of a fool's errand. Depends. I on think that you have you to are. you have to you have to know what your what your sweet 
of responsibilities are. Um, and for every one of those individual responsibilities, there are very reasonable ways to measure measure the performance. And, and I, I think it is a I think that people are fooling themselves if they say or believe that like it, that these things cannot be measured. Like everything can be measured in some kind of way. Like it doesn't have to be you know analytics. Like it, you can you can just have you can have conversations. You can do surveys. Like there's there are lots of ways to just get get data points. And, and once again, like. I, I, I have these conversations all the time. Don't, I honestly, like I, I, I had a really bad experience at Twilio, like in the first maybe six months that I was working there, um, where I went to my manager and I said, hey, I'm just like, I'm not sure I, I'm, ha- I'm not sure I'm really happy like with this job. And uh, my manager asked me why. And I said like, well, I just keep, <laughs> I keep doing the work. Like I keep, you know, going to these meetups and sponsoring these meetups and giving these talks. Like, and I'm I'm putting so much effort into it. I'm really burning myself out. And I and I I can't tell if like I'm making a difference here at Twilio. Um, so I, now my so my manager's solution to the problem was to help work with me to figure out how to tell if I was making a difference. And I'm sharing this story because. Once I figured out how to measure the impact of what I was having, I didn't do it so that I could report up to the management chain in order to justify my employment. I did it for me. I did it so that right. I felt that I, that what I was doing mattered. Um, and I would just I would I would ask people to like take that approach to this problem, right? Like don't don't worry about justifying your employment. Like you've already been hired. Like there's some optimism that like you're going to make a difference, but always make sure that whatever you're working on, like you can convince yourself that it mattered. Um, yeah. Yeah. And if you have that, yeah. If you have that confidence that, that what you're doing does make a difference when you communicate that to, to leadership, it's going to show, right. It's going to be, it's going to be clear that you, you be- you believe you are actually moving for sure, but you have to do the work, right? Like you know, it has to be. It can't be like, well, you know, I don't know. Like I think it worked, or I mean, you you know, you have to do the work to c- convince yourself. If you can convince yourself that, like, you know what, this is making a difference. Um, or by the way, the other thing that is completely valid is like, you know what, this is not making a difference, and I'm going to stop doing it, right? Like you, it, you know, like both answers are great answers. Like just the fact that you figured it out. And so you can put more fuel behind the thing that is working and you can stop doing whatever the thing was that wasn't working. Like these are good, healthy things for people who are doing DevRel. And of course, it will help you with all of the conversations that you'll have, um, you know, with the company about like, why are we doing this? Should should we, you know, should we add more headcount to DevRel? You know, all of those things, right? So Carter, I asked you, you know, what was, what were the important things that you learned? I think that's, that's that's kind of the most important one, right? Measure for yourselves so that you know it matters. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, this was super philosophical, which I love, <laughs> uh, and historical, which is great. So it's all it's all uh, it's all for the this is one for the nerds. Thank you so much. This has been super fun. Of course, no. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm look. I'm I got into Devrel later in my life. You know, I was in my geez, I don't know, my mid, you know, early thirties. Um, you know, when I sort of discovered DevRel, um, and that, you know, in the previous 22 years of my career, like I wasn't really happy. I was a person who was, 
you know, good at a few, good at some stuff, but kind of casting around looking for something that really felt like it was the right thing. Uh, and I'm really glad I found it. And uh, I definitely hope that more people um, sort of discover DevRel and, and give it a chance because I just think it's a really, it's a really special, uh, special kind of job to have. Yeah, it is. It's a fabulous career. Um, if it works for you, it, it really, really works. Carter, thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Awesome. Take care. Bye-bye. You can find the transcript of this podcast and any links mentioned on our podcast page at voxgate.com slash podcast. Subscribe for weekly editions where we talk to the people who make the developer community work. For even more, read our newsletter. You can subscribe at voxgate.com slash newsletter or follow our Twitter at Voxgate. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.